right, will you say it with me? <clears throat> Our new mission statement. We are, on a, uh, we are a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. Mission critical. Thanks for being here, a part of this uh, fall campaign where we grow together in the direction God's leading us. And that involves a new mission statement, as we've shared, that uh, is in line with where this church has come from and the history, but also uh, reflects things that God's doing in us now and the focus that we feel like God's brought to our attention. And uh, so last week, or excuse me, um, we started off this series looking at the first step of the mission statement, which is that we're a church on mission. We recognize that God's called us to a mission. He's called us to accomplish a work. And so what is that mission? We're into that now, which is the second step. And that is to raise up disciple makers. Last week, we asked the question and tried to answer it. What's a disciple? What is a disciple? You know, the Bible talks about disciple uh, disciples. We know that Jesus had uh, 12 disciples and uh, like, what are disciples? And so we looked at that in a, in a couple of different arenas in which disciples are involved. Primarily, they're following Jesus, moving after him and, uh, and learning to live the way he teaches us to live, living out of obedience to him and changing our lives to look more like him. And so that's the essence of discipleship. This week, we want to answer the question, what are disciple makers? If our mission as a church is to raise up disciple makers, well, what are they? And so um, in order to start this topic off and to delve into this uh, subject matter, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, the first question is, what is your potential? What is your capacity? What are you able to do? And that could be in a lot of arenas, but of course we're talking about the arena of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. What are you capable of? What, what, are you, what is your potential? What are you able to do? So that question... And the follow-up question is, how do you know? How do you know? Um, we build an idea of what we're able to do, what our capacity is, what our potential is. We build that idea as we grow and live, and especially as we're Christians, followers of Jesus. We, we begin to wrestle with that idea. We come to conclusions. Um, sometimes those conclusions uh, aren't quite accurate, right? Um, when I was a kid, I can remember a distinct memory of waking up in the middle of the night, not sure I was in a cold sweat, but I was uh, gripped with fear. I was filled with fear. I was sure that I was in imminent danger. I remember jumping up out of my bed and running the few short steps to my parents' room, pushing the door open, diving in between my mom and dad to safety so that my life would be spared. And I was very certain that my life was in danger, uh, real danger. Um, kind of a weird thing. I don't really know uh, exactly why my struggle was with that so much, but I do kind of remember how it started, and that was that my mom and dad uh, hired a babysitter, Johnny Compton, who was a, a teenage girl in the neighborhood, just lived across the street, and she came to watch us on one particular evening, I can remember, and she thought it would be a good thing to tell us some scary stories. I'm sure she thought it would be a fun thing to do, right? And uh, that should have been fine, probably. The problem is, as those scary stories turned into nightmares for me, that was a reoccurring nightmare that, of course, doesn't seem like anything to be scared of, except there was a figure in the nightmare that I knew was after me and was going to kill me. And so uh, that's what I would, uh, the dream I would have that would wake me up at a start and I would be terrified. Um, as I grew to young adulthood, 
I started to recognize that uh, there were things that, um, that God was asking me to do or would, I would be called to do as a disciple if I was actively engaged in following Jesus. There were things that I was, I was going to be asked to do and I was asked to do that I had some fear of doing. Some of those things had to do with uh, one of the greatest fears that everybody has, which is public speaking. Get up in front of people and, and, and uh, teaching or talking. And I found that I had a great deal of anxiety about that and fear. I found that to go out and talk to people about Jesus and have a spiritual conversation and, and try to reach people for Jesus, that I had some fears associated with that. I found that uh, to just be in a leadership role, to be in charge of a group of young people maybe and to lead them, I felt a lot of fear with that, insecurity, uncertainty. Um, I found that, uh, that in order to step into a vocational role and to trust God to become a pastor, if you will, man, I had a lot of uncertainty about that, a lot of, uh, a lot of fear. And so I started to recognize that this was an issue that I had. And, and at the same time, I also came to the conclusion that I did not want to be held back or controlled by any of those things. I wanted to move forward in life, engage the things that God was calling me to do, that God wanted to me, me to do, and that I wanted to do. And so I became pretty driven to put myself in situations where I had to face those fears, right, and not be controlled by them. And so um, the reason I bring all this up is that I know that some of you might be the same. Fear might not be your issue. Maybe there's another issue. But we all have issues, it seems to me, that kind of keep us maybe at times from stepping in the direction God is calling us to go. Sometimes it's just a lack of commitment. Sometimes it's just selfishness. Sometimes it's our own egos. But sometimes it's fear and insecurity and uncertainty. I just know that part of my role as a pastor and part of the way God's wired me is to uh, stand in front of you and also walk alongside you and speak into your life what I believe to be the absolute truth, which is that you have within you the capacity and the ability to become a disciple maker. It is within your makeup. It is within your ability. God has given you the raw material. And as a person, you have that. The question is, will you believe it? Or will you continue to take the steps of obedience and trust God that you can move in that direction? Because when we talk about disciple makers, I know that that's a topic that for some of you, as we get into this topic and we look at the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that you're going to start to wonder if that really is the direction that you could go or should go, or is that really who I am? And so I want to start off by saying, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, even you. It's you. Um, and, and I know that because I know God's call. I know God's um, equipping and empowerment of people. And I know that it doesn't have so much to do with you as it has to do with what God wants to do in you and through you. And so for me to take steps to engage those areas of uncertainty meant that I simply needed to obey him and step in that direction and not act out of the fear and uncertainty that I might have had, but to trust him and act out of obedience. The truth is that God has some expectations of us. When he saves us and calls us to be a disciple, he does have some expectations of what we will do with that gift that he's given us, with the life that he's given us and the, the abilities he's given us. And yes, even the spiritual gifts that he's given us, he has some expectations. In Matthew chapter 25, 
Jesus tells a parable or a story that, that um, illustrates this. You've probably heard it before, but as a reminder today, and if you haven't, um, here's a great example of Jesus' expectations, which really God's expectations, of his followers. Jesus tells a story, a parable of a, a master or a ruler or a business owner who had an estate and he was going to need to go on a trip that would take him away for some time. And he had three servants that worked for him and he called them in one at a time uh, to, uh, to prepare them for him being gone. And the first servant came in and he, uh, knowing who he was, knowing his abilities, knowing his capacity... He gave him five bags of silver. This represented his wealth. He gave them to the servant, entrusted him with those five bags of silver. Some of you have been entrusted with five bags of, of God's wealth, okay? He's invested in you. He's handed you that amount of responsibility because you have the ability to handle it. Then the next servant came in and, and the master gave him two bags of silver. And that reflected his ability and that reflected his capacity, right? Gave him two bags of his resources to invest and to use while he was gone. And then the third servant came in and he gave him one. Well, he went away on the trip. And the Bible tells us what the three servants did. The one with five bags of silver, he invested those bags and he, he produced five more. And the one with two bags, well, he invested those bags and he produced two more. He doubled the investment. The third servant, as you probably know, did not invest the bag of silver, he went and out of fear of losing the money, he went and buried it in his backyard. The master returns after some time and he pulls the servants in to give an accounting for what they'd done. And to the one who had five who had doubled the investment, he said, good job, let's celebrate your success. To the one that had two, he also celebrated with him and, and uh, encouraged him and lifted him up for his success and his, his skillful and wise use of that talent, that resource that God had given him or that the master had given him. And then the third servant came in. And he said, Master, I, I, I'm terrified of you. You, uh, you reap a harvest where you don't even plant seeds. You, you expect so much, you're demanding. You expect a lot. And so I didn't want to lose the talent, the, the money that you gave me. So I buried it in the yard. But here it is. I didn't lose it. And that act, right, of, um, of taking a step that wasn't, risky and wasn't courageous, but was the safe step he was not commended for, right? He was chastised for harshly. And here's what I know based on that parable is that God has given you and I talents and abilities, gifts. He's also given us the truth of the gospel. He's placed us in a world and a country with the freedom to worship. We have so much that we've been given and God expects us not to play it safe, because he's not a play-it-safe God. <laughs> he doesn't play safe. He takes risk. And what's more is he reaps a harvest where he doesn't even plant seeds. And so we don't need to be worried that if we use what he's given us, that somehow we'll mess it up and we won't produce fruit and it won't work. We need to more worry that we would waste or play it safe with what's he's, what he's given us. God has called us into the disciple-making uh, business, the, the disciple-making ministry. All of us. If you're a disciple, then you've been called to become a disciple maker. And that's going to require that you grow. It's going to require that you uh, dig in, right, and take some risks. But that is the call on all of us. And so I want to look at a couple of things um, as we examine this disciple making 
What are the characteristics of a disciple maker? So that I can paint a picture a little bit for you of where you should be headed and the goal that you should be after and the growth that you should be moving towards. These things really matter. Um, I don't want to um, necessarily make you feel guilty or convicted. I want to inspire you. It's really my heart that your potential would be unleashed and that the abilities that you have and the, the, the gift that we've been given in the gospel, that we would be utilizing, we would be um, expanding it like God wants us to. And so the first characteristic that we see in disciple makers as we look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see that disciple makers are trustworthy people. And they will pass the gospel on to others. That's the nature of a disciple maker. And so the principle here in the first couple of verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we see is that disciple makers train up disciple makers. Follow along as I read the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writing to a young disciple maker named Timothy, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, though this was written from one leader to another young man, there, is, there are principles, transferable principles that are for us today. Let's see what some of those are. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Timothy, my son, be strong. So find strength, uh, live out of strength, and that strength needs to come through the grace that you have gained through Christ Jesus, that God has given you. Grace, it is anything that comes from God. Salvation is by grace. Um, our giftedness is by grace. Uh, his presence is with us. That is his grace. It all is unmerited favor given to us. We're to find strength in that. That allows us to move in the direction of being disciple makers. Verse two, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach, those, or teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Disciple makers are looking for trustworthy people to invest in. They will invest in anyone. They will make disciples out of whoever is put in front of them, whoever God places in front of them. They will invest in them. But they are looking for trustworthy people who will become disciple makers, who will continue to pass on the truth that they have received. Paul said, teach the truths that I have taught you. What are some of those truths? Well, very simply, they include a couple of things. One is that Paul, Paul taught Timothy and others the truth about who Jesus is. The truth about who Jesus is, that he was the son of God or God himself in the flesh. That he was the savior, Messiah. That he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Right? These truths about Jesus. These are the truths that Paul taught. He taught that Jesus had returned to heaven, but that he was going to come back to earth in his second coming to take those that belong to him to be with him for all eternity. He taught that salvation was by grace through faith. It wasn't a works-based system. It wasn't earned by anything that we can do, but it is simply a free gift given to us as we put our trust in Jesus. He taught that there was a judgment coming, that all of the human race would face a judgment before God. 
He taught that sanctification or being set apart for God's work, which all followers of Jesus are, all disciples are, that growth in that arena came as we would repent of our sins and we would turn to Jesus and be obedient to him as we would be filled with the Spirit and live by his power and his presence in our lives. These are some of the things that Paul taught to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, find trustworthy people that you can teach these same things to. Do you see what's built into this process? This process that Jesus started, that Paul continues, that he's passing on to Timothy, that Timothy's going to pass on to others. It is a life-on-life transfer of knowledge and of life and a lifestyle. It is a life-on-life investment. This is the process. Now, the church also has organization to it. This church is organizational. And we have organizations that the church and that Christians have created. I think one of the dangers, potential traps, is that we would begin to rely too heavily on organizational efforts, right, and initiatives, and less on the life-on-life transfer of disciple-making. We've got to be careful of that. To illustrate this, there's a story told of a group of people who called themselves fishermen. Uh, They would meet week after week, month after month, year after year, and they would talk about the importance of being fishermen and what fishermen were. They would say fishermen are ones who fish, and everyone should be a fisherman. They were surrounded by water, And all of the water around them, streams, lakes, rivers, seas, they all had fish in them, a lot of fish, and the fish were hungry. And so they knew how important it was that they would be fishermen. They said, fishermen exist by fishing in the same way that fires exist by burning. It's absolutely essential. And they would get together and talk about different ways of fishing and what new new fishing... um, um, Uh, methodologies are out there, right? And and what new bait is maybe available? They would spend a lot of time and they would encourage each other in the act of fishing. And they built beautiful buildings they called fishing headquarters and they would meet in them once again to discuss the importance of fishing. They said the task of every fisherman is to fish. Amongst all the effort that they put forward towards fishing, all of the belief they had in fishing and the convictional Um, uh, direction towards being fishermen, one thing was noted. Of all the things they did, the one thing they didn't do was fish. Now, that can seem kind of (laughs) silly. And yet, it could be very easy for me and maybe you to fall into the same trap of being followers of Jesus, being disciple makers, and talking a lot about discipling and talking a lot about the things we're supposed to do. And yet, in our daily lives, not working at becoming disciple makers and making disciples. And so we want to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap of being fishermen that don't fish. We're called to be disciple makers. It's the nature of how the gospel has expanded throughout the years. And so we must be connected to that picture, that vision, that task, that kind of call on our lives and not lose sight of it and not let ourselves right? Take a perhaps more convenient, easier path of just talking about it and leaning on institutional initiatives to make disciples. 
Once we understand that a mature Christian is one who is making disciples, once we understand that, that's really the mark and measure of maturity as a Christian or as a disciple, is that I am a disciple maker. That's the goal. That's where I uh, am working towards, and I know that I'm mature, okay, or I'm somewhere near maturity because I am making disciples, and I'm discipling other people. That once we know that that is the measure, and that's the characteristic, we can move on to the next characteristic or trait of a disciple maker, and that is that disciple makers push God's work forward. Disciple makers push God's work forward. Let's continue to read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in civilian, or excuse me, in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. Disciple makers are the ones who act as owners in the work of God. Take ownership. They uh, take responsibility for the work of God. They're the ones who get it done. I know Granger has a great logo, but inside of God's work, disciple makers are the ones who get it done. They're the ones who make sure it's getting done. They're not doing all of it, but but they're making sure it's getting done. They've taken ownership in the work of God. Have you joined this group of owners, partners? Jesus said, you know, you used to be slaves, but now you're sons, you're children. And with that comes a partnership in the work of God. God's work does need to be pushed forward. I wish it happened without any conflict, without any uh, uncomfortable interactions. But the truth is it doesn't. And it's been that way from the beginning. It takes people who will take initiative to push it forward and to make sure that it's getting done and not just contributing to it, but, but getting in the middle of it. Um, this passage, these verses, Paul uses three illustrations to give an idea of what a disciple maker looks like. First one is a soldier. He says a soldier is what you're really like. Now soldiers are not like civilians. They're different because they have a commanding officer. They're listening to and taking orders from the one who as they're enlisted under. They're listening to him and following his instructions. Soldiers are trained and they're prepared and they're engaged. Soldiers are different. He said, that's, that's a picture of what you need to, to be and who you need to be and how you need to live. You're, you're a soldier, not a civilian. You've been called into the work of God. You're one who is prepared and engaged and trained. You're actively listening to Jesus, he is your commanding officer, not others. If you listen to others, you're going to uh, change what you do. You might alter this process that you're a part of. And so don't do that. Keep your eyes and ears on the one who you answer to. Next, he says it's like an athlete. You're like an athlete who is competing to win a prize. So you're competing according to the rules. This isn't like pickup basketball at noon at the Y, okay? 
<laughs> this is like a real game and we're playing for a championship that matters. So this is engaging. This is a different level. You are like an athlete who is, knows what the rules are. You're competing according to the rules so that you can win the prize that's being offered. The prize, okay, um, there's, there's victories available in life. Lots of victories. But if you want to win the prizes and the prize that Jesus is after and that he has called you to, then you're going to pay attention to the rules that he has put in place. I watch a lot of people who say they're Christians, but it seems like they play by a different set of rules. Like, I don't understand the rules that they're following. I think, how are you, what rules, like, where, how's that working? I don't get it. But, but that's the truth. That's the reality. But, but Paul says to disciple makers, they're the ones who are paying attention to the rules Jesus has put in place. They're following those because they're competing for the prize and the goal that Jesus has established. Last, he gives the illustration of a farmer, a farmer who gets to enjoy the fruits of his labor. We live in an agrarian culture. Some of you know a bit about agriculture, maybe a little bit more than most people do. And uh, what that means as a farmer is, a person in agriculture is, you know what it takes to get food on the plate, right? You know what's involved. You know the process. And so there's a little different appreciation for a steak, right? When you know how it got there and what it took to produce it, when you have some sweat, some labor into that process. And farmers and people in agriculture, right, in this metaphor that Paul's giving, they're the ones who are in the middle of the process. They want to be a part of the production. They know that's where it's at. They know that's where the good stuff happens, right? <laughs> that's where the rewarding stuff happens. And boy, food tastes better when you were a part of getting it to the table. At least I think so. And so that, that's what he's saying. You're like a farmer. Uh, you're, you're a disciple maker, Timothy. You're part of the work of God. And you're part of doing that work, seeing things develop in God's economy and seeing disciples get made. There were three recruiters who showed up at a school one day speaking to a group of seniors and they happened to be from three branches of the military. There was an army recruiter, there was a Navy recruiter, and a Marine recruiter. I don't know if the Air Force recruiter got sick. I'm not sure what happened there, but he didn't show up that day. But uh, they all three had some uh, time in front of a group of seniors to talk to him about why they would want to be a part of their branch of the service. And so the army recruiter and the Navy recruiter got up and shared. And unfortunately, they got a little windy and they took most of the time. So when the Marine recruiter got up, he had about two minutes. And so he got up and stood in front of this group of seniors. And for one of those minutes, he didn't say anything. He just kind of looked at them. A little awkward. But then after the minute was done, he said this. There's probably only two or three of you in here that would even have a shot at being a Marine. But I'd like to see those two or three of you in the cafeteria when this meeting's over. <laughs> well, when he got to the cafeteria, everybody was in there. Um, Jesus established a call that he knew would appeal to the right people. The call was one of sacrifice and challenge. It wasn't going to be easy. And he didn't sugarcoat it at all. Fact he pushed even in a little bit uh, more uh, at different times when he was teaching. 
One of those times in Matthew 11, Jesus is out teaching and doing his ministry. And um, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, he paved the way. John the Baptist was prophesied about in the Old Testament. He's a significant character. And so John the Baptist happens to be in prison. Um, He spoke up about the wrong person, challenged their morality and what they were doing, (laughs) King Herod. And so he's in prison. Well, he's a little discouraged and frustrated. He sends some of his disciples to talk to Jesus with just a couple questions. And those questions are Jesus. John has a couple questions for you. He's wondering, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? That's not words of encouragement. There's a little bit of cynicism, skepticism in that question. Hey, Jesus, I was there when I said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I heard the Father's voice from heaven. I watched the Spirit descend on you like a dove. I I saw you confirmed. What's going on? What are you doing? Right? And so Jesus spoke to them some kind words, said, yes, yes, go back and tell John the lame can walk, the blind can see, the dead are raised. Go back and tell them what you see. And then he turned to the crowd. He said, uh, what did you think and expect when you went out to see John? Did you expect to see a reed that was blown about in the wind, easily rattled? (laughs) Did you go out to see somebody uh, important in fine clothes and dressed up fancy and with a lot of pomp and circumstance? No. You went out to see a prophet, a powerful man of God who would speak the truth of God And then he says in verse 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. That's why I know you can do more than you think. Then he said this, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it spiritual war that we're involved in, and it is a battle. And Jesus said, this kingdom is a forceful thing. It takes force to push it forward, and it's being attacked by violent people to try to stop it. And uh, can I assure you that that has not changed? We live in a free country. We've enjoyed a great deal of peace regarding our faith and and our following of Jesus and, and who we are. We haven't faced a lot of attacks. Perhaps those attacks are mounting. Perhaps the climate is changing. It feels like it is. I don't know. I do know this, that for the kingdom of God to advance, there has to be people who push it forward. Disciple makers are those people. Finally, disciple makers are hard workers. They've been shaped by the truth. And then disciple makers use the truth to shape the lives of others. Second Timothy 2, look down uh, in starting in verse 15. The work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid foolish, or excuse me, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. He says, first, work hard. We live in a hardworking culture. We all know we should work hard. We like to work hard. We value hard work. The hard work in the work of God, though, is following and listening to Jesus and doing what he says. And it will be hard work. Um, Secondly, be the kind of worker who will not be ashamed 
but is correctly handling the words of truth. In other words, when you are speaking to those around you and you're encouraging them with what they should do, you're giving advice that is consistent with the word of God. You're pointing them to the truth of scripture. You won't be ashamed because you gave some advice that wasn't correct according to God's word. A disciple maker will guide others along a straight path that they can follow. The path will lead them to success. Guiding others along a straight path requires that you're walking a straight path. You're on that straight path and you're able to help someone else. Disciple makers are people who are getting their hands dirty. They're in the middle of the work of God. They're not just staying in the, uh, in the whitewashed uh, fringes, encouraging, right? Go get them. We're supporting you. But they're in it. They're in the middle of it. They have developed the ability to work with people, to grow people, to encourage people in the right direction. They're walking a straight path so they can point others to get on that same path. I want to call you to be a disciple maker, to grow, to become a disciple maker. It takes time. It'll take work. You may not be there right now. That's okay. I want you to know that you're called to that and I want to call you to it. Right now, we have more people in our church that want to be discipled than we have people willing to disciple somebody. That's a great problem, but it's also a problem. (laughs) We're in a season where the world around us is looking for help, looking for answers, looking for hope. They need people who are prepared, trained, equipped, that are in the middle of it, willing to get their hands dirty in the lives of people. I want to call you and I to that high calling. God, thank you for this call you place on our lives and the the passion you have for us and what you believe in us that we can do. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us and to engage that path of growth. You really want to unleash the full potential that's in us to be life-giving people, to pass on truth to others, to help guide them on a straight path. Father, would you help us as we continue to move in the direction you called us to be obedient to that high calling. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.